0: Psalm 40 says, May all who seek you, God, rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. As uh, you've heard, tomorrow we start Vacation Bible School. And this year's theme is monumental, celebrating the greatness of God. And as you can see from all the decorations, the the theme this year is, uh, is set in the American Southwest. There are a lot of places where we, you can experience the greatness of God and God's creation. One can go to a, a cabin in Minnesota Lake Country and sit out on a dock listening to the loon's call, the lapping of the water, seeing an eagle soar above and the sunset. smell the campfire and taste the s'mores and And it's pretty hard not to sit back and say, God, this is great. But God's greatness can also be seen in the desert southwest, which is quite different from Minnesota. In those towering red rocks, those dry, barren lands, those unusual creatures of the desert. And I learned that lesson from my Uncle Pete. A couple of weeks ago, I said that my Uncle Pete was a school teacher down in in New Mexico and that he always came back to spend the summers with us, which he did. But one summer, he didn't come back right away, and we went down to see him. It was my first trip to the American Southwest. And we piled in the old station wagon, pulling a rented pop-up camper, and drove back down, I think we went down to Iowa, and then maybe over through, uh, through Nebraska, the, the most boring state that I'd ever been in, and over to the Rocky Mountains, that, those majestic peaks, and then down into the, that northwest corner of New Mexico and uh, into the area of the Red Rocks near Gallup. Uncle Pete took us out to see them. It was like a scene uh, that we have here in the corner, except uh, there were no ATVs like there is in this picture. And, and I don't remember any blue cactus either, but uh, it was kind of like this. Now, if you've ever been to the Southwest, you might have seen things that, that point you to the greatness of God. Romans one twenty says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. In other words, we can look at creation, and we can see that God is pretty great. You can't help but think of God when you look at the grandeur of something like the Grand Canyon. 277 miles long up to 18 miles wide and 6000 feet deep how can you not think of god when you see a sight like that unless you're uh, like that one jaded individual that gave the the grand canyon a one star review on the internet saying don't bother it's just a big hole <laughs> or perhaps you stood next a towering saguaro cactus. You know, the the ones that that have the arms on, like over here in the corner, here and in in front. You know, it takes 75 to 100 years before they grow their first arm. It's amazing. They're they're, they're almost like trees, except they're unlike any tree that uh, you'll see in Minnesota, pointing to the greatness of God. Or Maybe you saw an actual roadrunner. Not the one that Wiley e. Coyote chases in the cartoons, but a real roadrunner. Did you know that they are the fastest bird that can, that can also fly? And it's amazing, they got these little eight inch legs, but they can run as fast as the fastest human being. But not actually as fast as a coyote. A coyote can actually chase down a roadrunner. So if Wiley stops spending all that money at the Acme store and instead just put in a little effort, he could catch up to the roadrunner. Roadrunners also have another unusual feature in that their track doesn't look like that of another bird because instead of having three of their toes pointing forward and one backwards like chickens and other birds, they have two going forward and two backwards so you can't tell if they're coming or going. <laughs> and their, their track looks kind of like a cross or an X. You could almost call it a little Jesus bird with their, uh, with their cross-shaped tracks. And all these fascinating Southwest experiences may have left you standing in awe and saying, that's really great, God. Thank you for this. But it did, did it lead you to anything more? How did you respond to seeing the glories of God in creation? You know, this summer we're looking at the Apostle Peter. He got to see the Lord's glory on the mountaintop. A glory beyond the most impressive southwest landscape. But typical of Peter before Pentecost, his response is not quite what God is looking for. You can find this in in all the Gospels, but I'm going to read it from the Gospel of Luke in the ninth chapter. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter and James, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke of his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. The traditional site of the Mount of Transfiguration is a mountain called Mount Tabor in Israel. And it doesn't look like the the Rocky Mountains. It's a single dome-shaped mountain. It sits all by itself. And it is here that Peter and James and John had that encounter with God's glory. It wasn't nearly as impressive as, as some of the buttes of uh, the Southwest, but it wasn't about the view. It was about what they got to see about Jesus. Jesus is changed before their very eyes. The word the church uses is transfigured. Their friend Jesus in his dusty old robes is now revealed in his heavenly glory. His clothes are shining like lightning. His face is transformed too. And two long dead heroes of the faith are there standing next to him. It's almost as if Peter and the others are getting a glimpse right into heaven and seeing them in their glory Jesus doesn't look like he normally does. He looks really great. And as they stand looking on in awe at the greatest thing that they'd ever seen, how does Peter respond? What brilliant thing does he say in the face of of this great, great view of God's glory? Well, He says, you know, Jesus, it's really good that we're here because we can build you three shelters. We can build you three little houses. Actually, shrines, because heavenly beings don't need homes built with human hands. But Peter says, Jesus, let's, let's build some shrines here. Once again, Peter doesn't know what he is talking about. His response is simply to try to preserve the moment. Build a shrine, keep Jesus, Moses, and Elijah there up on the mountain where he can always visit them and look at their glory. And that's a natural human tendency, isn't it? When we see something so great, we want to hold on to that scene. We want to preserve that moment. On our trip to see my my Uncle Pete, We also stopped at his sister's, my Aunt Ines. Ines lived uh, in another part of New Mexico, over by Santa Fe, and she worked with the the famous New Mexico painter, Georgia O'Keeffe. O'Keeffe's response to seeing the glory of God's creation in New Mexico was to paint it. Though she was actually born in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and lived for a while in, in New York City, it was there in the desert southwest, there in New Mexico, that she had her greatest inspiration. She was inspired by the landscapes, the flowers, even the dried up old animal skulls of New Mexico. One of her favorite subjects to paint was Cerro Pedernal, which is uh, a mountain <coughs> near her home. She just couldn't get enough of of her favorite subject of painting this. She once said jokingly that, that God told me if I painted it enough, I could have it. <laughs> like the Apostle Peter, George O'Keefe had an experience of majesty and awe, and her response was to try to capture it. Peter wanted to capture the majesty of the moment on the Mount of Transfiguration by building three shrines for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. George O'Keefe wanted to capture the, mass, the majesty of the Pedernal Mountain by putting it on canvas. But these experiences of God's greatness are not meant just so we can put them in a shrine or hang them up on the wall and say, oh, isn't that great? No, God hopes we have a little different response. And he tells that to Peter. Let's continue on, chapter 9 of Luke. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. After all the awe and wonder that Peter sees, God tells him simply, this is my son, listen to him. The transfiguration was not to create a great show. It's so Peter and James and John can recognize who Jesus is, the son of God, and then listen to him, follow him. The response that that God looks for is not pictures and shrines, the response that God looks for is faith and obedience. It's to listen to Jesus and follow him down off that mountain and out into the everyday world where we live most of our lives. We get those mountaintops experiences, whether we experience them in looking at the glory of God's creation or, or maybe you have encountered God in, in worship or in some other setting in church wherever it was, we get those experiences not just so we can say, isn't God great? But so we can say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We will listen and follow you. For many years, the, uh, the Minnesota Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church has, has run a wilderness-style camp up near Pequot Lakes, Star Lake Camp. Anybody ever go to Star Lake from out of here. Well, like I said, it's a wilderness-style camp. It's sort of like the Boundary Waters. Uh, it's not a camp that has all of these uh, buildings and amenities and things like that. You sleep in tents. You spend most of your time uh, out in the woods or canoeing the lakes and rivers, and encountering God's creation. It is uh, over 400 acres and miles and miles of undisturbed lakeshore. It makes it a wonderful place to experience the glory of God. And and it's a place where many young people have had an encounter with Jesus. I was privileged to, to baptize a young person who's in the little star lake there because it was there that she came to faith in Christ. And she wanted to be baptized there in Star Lake. It's a great place. But, like I said, it it doesn't have all the amenities that many other camps have. And as mission trips became uh, all the rage among youth groups, and as campers began to want to go to camps that had uh, more of a resort-style experience, the, the number of campers going to Star Lake declined. In fact, it got down to such that there were were sometimes more staff than there were campers at the camp. And so the conference faced hard choices. Do we subsidize this camp from other camps or from apportionments, or or do we close the camp? Maybe the, the best thing to do would be to sell it and to invest the money in upgrading the other camps. When the trustees started to explore this, people went nuts. There were huge meetings with angry people who had gone to Star Lake and had an encounter with God there and demanded that it not be sold. We were selling their holy place, their Mount of Transfiguration, their Peternal. <clears throat> One pastor even stood up and said, there was no other place in the state of Minnesota where young people can encounter God. Now, I'm sure he meant to say there's no better place or it's one of the better places, but that's not what he said. He said there was no other place to encounter God except in that spot where he saw the glory of Jesus one time. And by golly, that needed to be preserved. Need to preserve that moment forever. And that's our natural human inclination. We want to preserve those special moments of encounters with God. We want to build a shrine. But Jesus isn't interested in shrines. Jesus is interested in us following him down off the mountain and listening to him as we go through life. Thank God for those moments when we get to see little glimpses of God's glory. They're wonderful experiences, and I hope that you've had some. When we get to experience the greatness of God, it truly is great. But they aren't for making shrines. Those moments are for making disciples, followers of Jesus. So may we all listen to him and follow. So here's the end of the story about that camp. God provided a way to bless everyone. The conference didn't sell the property, but instead preserved the land through a conservation easement. The Minnesota Land Trust paid the conference $1.2 million simply to keep the land as it is. That money went to, to improving the other camps, And those who so passionately wanted the camp to continue run the program there today as an independent organization. Isn't God great? He can do such wonderful things. But God does it just to remind us to listen, to listen to Jesus, and to follow him. Let's pray. God, thank you for all those, uh, those times and places where we have encountered your greatness. Whether that has happened in northern Minnesota or down in New Mexico or Arizona. Maybe in another country or maybe right even here. Some moment when you opened our eyes to see your glory in a new way. We're thankful for those experiences. We're truly grateful. But Lord, help us not simply to to put those pictures in the wall of our minds, but instead to open our ears to you, to listen to you, to follow you, to be your people out in the world even in those times when we're not on the mountaintop and we can't see the glory. May we trust in you and know that you're there and may we follow you.